0: Hey, good morning. Well, my topic today has already been mentioned, evangelism. And I know that when many people hear that topic, they have a lot of emotions that go through their minds. And um, maybe there's some that you're thinking of. For a lot of people, they feel guilt. They feel like, oh, I haven't haven't been sharing enough. And this, Wade's going to really lay on the guilt on me today. Um... Let's see. But also a lot of people have real fears about evangelism and feels of, of failure. Um, a fear of being rejected, a fear that they're going to offend the person that they're talking with, or that they're going to be embarrassed. Oh, what if I don't have the right answer? You know, then ah, I'm going to fail this person, they're not going to believe, and a lot of Anxiety. Uh, often is associated when we talk about evangelism. And this morning, the, the last thing I want to do is make you feel anxious about this. I instead hope that you'll leave today encouraged uh, and better equipped and have a, a better understanding of, of what success in evangelism looks like. Uh, so let's then let me pray for us. Father, we just really ask now that your Holy Spirit uh, would guide each of us, and Lord that we wouldn 't uh, we 'd have a right understanding uh, about our role as your ambassadors. We really ask that um, Lord, you keep us from being distracted, that we'd understand your word and your will, and Lord, help us all to take steps of obedience. We know the enemy just wants us to find some excuse um, for a reason why we can 't uh, share with others about you or uh, have a more positive role in people's lives and helping them come to know you. So Lord, we really ask your Holy Spirit, just really speak to each of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, one thing I must say too is, uh, for both Helen and I, um, it's so different doing evangelism in many ways in China than here. Uh, our last couple of years we lived in a big city. Every time I got in a taxi cab, uh, we tried to make it, uh, I didn't do it every time, but I tried to have the habit of asking them about, oh, what's the next Chinese holiday? And they would say it, and then I'd say, oh, we, we don't have that holiday in America. Our big holidays are Christmas and Easter. And then and they'd almost always say, oh, I've heard of Christmas. And I said, oh, do you know what Easter's about? And they'd say, no. i said, oh, would you like me to explain it? And almost always they'd say yes. So I would just start right in, tell them the, the gospel story. <laughs> it was felt really easy. Uh, and we'd meet lots of people that, Uh, I'd mention I'm a Christian, or that I I read my Bible, or pray to Jesus, and they'd say, well, oh, I don't know about that. And I'd say, oh, would you like to hear? Sure. (laughs) So in so many ways, China felt so easy. Here in America, sometimes it feels really hard, Um, like you have to win a hearing, where somebody, you've won the right to be able to share the gospel with them. But I hope for all of us, at the end of of this talk, that you'll feel better equipped, how to do that more naturally and comfortably without all these fears of that they're going to reject you, or fear that you're going to mess up the presentation, uh, or fear that they're going to think you're a crazy Jesus freak. Um, we all deal with those fears, but I'm just really praying that the Lord will help us understand his mind on this topic. And I want to start, I think often a lot of our fears uh, and anxiety is because we don't have a good goal. And I want to start with this idea, and I think it's probably one of the most important things we'll talk about this morning, is having a good definition for success in evangelism. Years ago, I came across this uh, great definition by Bill Bright of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. He said, success in evangelism is sharing the gospel by the leading of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I think that's, that's a really helpful definition. Uh, I want to tweak it a little bit to make it even, I think, what well, we can make it even better. And that is, success in evangelism is sharing truth about God by the leading and power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. So a big part of this is we get anxious. We think, oh, if this person doesn't accept Christ, or doesn't agree with me, then I've failed. But no, our job is to sow the seeds. And it's God's job to bring conviction of sin and bring them to a place where they're ready to believe. So success is not about the results. It's about sharing the gospel. But Paul says we should, the Apostle Paul says, he says we should share the gospel clearly and boldly. And I think those are two really great goals. That when we share it, it will really be clear so that that person will understand it in their way of thinking and that we also share it boldly. But I want to look at several of the words in this. The first one, he talks about sharing the gospel. And I think um, that's great, but I think sometimes we think, oh, unless I share the entire plan of salvation with a person, then I've failed. And I don't think that's true. Um, I think as we look at this idea of looking to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that's really the key. And, and that's why this whole method or this definition is birthed out of our relationship with Christ, our intimacy with him. That we're, when we share with people, we're doing it saying, God, do you want me to share with this person? What should I share? How much should I share? Should I keep going or is, is that enough for this person? And I believe there are times when the Holy Spirit will tell us, will share a little bit, and he'll say, that's enough. Other times we'll say, oh, keep going. Sometimes it may just be a word of, God bless you. Helen used to do this. We're going to talk about throwing out bait to find out people that are interested in the gospel. Sometimes she'd go to the market, and she would just say, when she bought uh, something from an, oh, God bless you. And in Chinese, you know, "Shangdi and sometimes people would say, Shangdi Shishay, who who is this Shangdi? Who's God? So just by throwing out that little bait, sometimes somebody say, "Oh, well, who's this God you're talking, you're wanting to bless me with?" And then she'd go and start talking with him. Um, and so for her, the Holy Spirit was just leading her to say, "God bless you," and that was success. Now sometimes people didn't say anything, but the Holy Spirit, if, she, if the Holy Spirit was leading her to say, "God bless you," and she said it regardless of whether the person responded or not, ding, 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 that's success. She followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's really important that that's how we define our success, is are we following the Holy Spirit or not? And also this idea of sharing truth. So it doesn't always have to be the whole gospel. It's what the the Holy Spirit tells us how much to share is important. And we're looking to his leading... But then also we're relying upon his power. We're not thinking that, oh, I've been practicing this presentation, I got it down now, um, so this person's going to believe, or, <laughs> or I'm gonna, I am going to convince them that Jesus is God and that Christianity is the only true way. No, our, our leading is, we say, God, help me to present this clearly, but I'm looking to you. I, I, it's not my job, I can't change people's hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's work, to bring conviction that they're separated from God and that they need God and that he is holy and sinless. So I think each of these elements are are really important, and we leave the results to God. You know, somebody has said there are two reasons that people don't become Christians. One is they've never met a Christian, and the other is they have met a Christian. And sadly, that's true. Sometimes uh, we turn people off. It's true. We do offend them. We're not sensitive to listen to them. Our goal is, I'm going to share this whole message with them, whether they like it or not, and get rid of this guilt I feel. Ah, it's been six months since I shared the gospel. I'm overdue. So I share it all. Oh, I'm relieved of my guilt. Okay. Well, sometimes that, that is true. Um, I've even been guilty of that in my past. In college, we'd go out and share sometimes. And I have had so much built up angst about sharing and I couldn't wait till I shared with somebody and it'd be over and I feel like okay I can check that off I've done that Uh, I don't think that's how God wants us to do it he wants us to have joy in doing it we're sharing the greatest news on earth with people another really important thing I want to touch about is with this idea that we're sharing truth sometimes that will just be our testimony or like I said, sometimes it's just a God bless you. God can use that. Sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit has to say. I was reading someone that said they did some research and they found that the average, that on average, uh, this was maybe twenty years ago, people had in, had twenty nine or twenty eight or twenty nine encounters with a Christian or with a Christ, Christian tract or Christian movie uh, or a conversation about Christ. So twenty nine. 28 or 29 different touches on average before they became a Christian. And I think that's really important to think about. If we were buying shrimp at the store and we said, I want two pounds of shrimp. And the guy started putting shrimp on the scale. It's getting closer and closer to two. And then finally he puts that last one on 200 Would we ever pick up that last shrimp and go, yes, oh, this shrimp, this shrimp is so important, it's so great, it was the one that tipped the scale, oh, this one's going to be especially delicious. But in fact, that's what we do often when we share the gospel. If we happen to be that 29th person or that final person and the person is ready to receive We're like, wow. And it is an incredible experience. It's a beautiful thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate that. What we should celebrate is all 28 other touches. And that may have been us. We might have had a conversation with somebody and we shared about our testimony. And they weren't, didn't seem like they were responsive at all. But little did we know later they went back and they thought about it. And the next week they met somebody else that was a Christian. And the next week, they met somebody else, and they saw a TV show. And ours was one of those 28 touches. And it was it was just as important as that last touch. But how often do we celebrate it like that last touch? We should. We really should. Our family started doing this. Actually, Kia was really good at this. We, we talked about this idea. We said, we need to celebrate every time we have a touch, every time we have an opportunity to influence somebody about Christ. So if we were in a taxi... We always try to talk with taxi drivers because it's just so easy to get them in a conversation about spiritual things. But as soon as we left the taxi, even if it went nowhere, I, I, there were times we talked to a taxi driver, I'd be talking to them about Easter and why Jesus rose from the dead and proving that He's the one true God. And I'll be in the middle of it, and the the guy will say, uh, "In America, you do you have soccer in America?" And I'm like, "Hello." <laughs> Hello? <laughs> And I said, Okay, I don't think this guy's really very interested. So, okay. Yes, we do have soccer in America and we go on and talk. But we get out of the car and Kia'd say, Good job, Dad. And I'd say, Oh, thank you, Kia. You know, and we tried to do that. You know, uh, Helen is really gifted at evangelism, but Even so, she gets discouraged if people don't respond. She she has some crazy stories about that. In the middle of her sharing, people ask her the weirdest questions. (laughs) And you're like, okay, I guess they're not very interested. But then one of us would say, hey, that was great. Good job. You shared by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we need to, to celebrate that every time. Well, let's dive into this story. It's really exciting that you know, the, the Bible doesn't give us a little plan of exactly how you've got to share the gospel, but it does tell us a lot. There's a lot in this story that's so helpful. And this doesn't mean we're going to look at a lot of principles in this story. We don't have to apply each of them, and you don't have to go study this list of, oh, I got to do it exactly like it's done in this story. Of course not. But I hope you'll catch from this, Jesus was the master teacher. He was the master evangelist. Watch how he shares the gospel with this woman. Okay, we're going to learn from him, the greatest evangelist ever. The story starts, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Well, that is really an interesting statement. Because research showed back then, nobody that was a Jew passed through Samaria. They all walked around Samaria. Why was that? Because they hated the the Samaritans. Uh, they were half-Jews. They, inter- they had stayed in the land. They would intermarried the, the Gentile people groups that were there uh, before Israel moved into the land. They adopted many of their customs, took on some of their gods. So they were, they were impure half-Jews. They hated them. In fact, I think I've shared this before. There's a time where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. And they get so mad that they call him two things. They say, aren't we right in saying that you are demon-possessed and a Samaritan? Okay, that was like the worst two things in their bag of, you know, like today we say, oh, your mama, well, in their bag of tricks, you know, the two worst things they could say were, you're demon-possessed and even worse than that, you're a Samaritan. I mean, so they hated him, but it says Jesus had to go. Well, why did he have to go through Samaria? I believe one of the reasons was he knew there was a hurting woman there. And that through her, there were many hurting people in her village that wanted, that God had ordained to be in relationship with him. It's because his compassion for that woman, five failed marriages, he had compassion on her. He had to go to Samaria. I believe he also had to go because his disciples didn't get that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles too. And he had to take this opportunity to try to show them again. They don't they don't really get it. I was thinking about it. In a way, a word that maybe describes the disciples sometimes in these encounters, they were dopey. They're just kind of dopey. What is the deal? Why don't you guys get it? Oh, did, did you bring the food? Where did Jesus get his food? I just And it makes me feel encouraged because I'm dopey sometimes and the things of God, I just miss them so many times, but there's hope for all of us. So he had to go through Samaria because he was filled with compassion. And that's really the principle. We need to be led by God. We need to have his compassion for people. And it's interesting too. God leads them to this people that others are hating. I believe as we rely on the Holy Spirit, God will lead us. To, to work with refugees from Iraq and Iran, um, countries where, and, and Muslims, people that sometimes, most many in America are afraid of. But as we are led by the Holy Spirit, he'll lead us uh, in ways that we, and to do things we wouldn't normally do. Uh, but it's because of his passion, and we need to ask God to give us his passion for people. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So that would be noontime according to the way they calculated time. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So I think normally a role of the disciples would be to provide water for their Discipler for their master. Okay, now we also know Jesus. they didn't wait hand and foot on Jesus all the time. He was a servant. But, so that would normally, they would do that. They aren't there, so he asked the woman, give me a drink. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but this probably is also one of the most important points we can get from this. If we are going to influence people with the gospel, a really important principle is that we open our mouth. Okay? <laughs> I know that's a little simplistic, but if you want to share truth about God, you must open your mouth. Now, you, if you're like me, I get on a plane sometimes, I travel in China, I just so, I just, voice me said, just keep, I just be quiet and sit there, wait. That's all I want to do. I don't want to engage with people. Many times. But if I let the Holy Spirit, if I say, Lord, do you want me to talk, is there anybody you want me to talk to? Anybody you want me to initiate conversation with? My mother-in-law is so good at this. She makes friends with everybody, everywhere we go. She just sits down. Oh, hi. She introduces herself, and in a couple of minutes, they're just talking about it. I'm like, how does she do that? Well, the key is, as soon as she sits down, she opens her mouth and says hello and starts talking. And as simple as this, is, as, as this is, a lot of us need to learn that skill. How to meet people And open her mouth and start a conversation. And then also we see how Jesus treats her with respect. Okay, Later it says that the Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Well here he asks her to give him water. He's giving her great respect. He's talking to a woman. People didn't talk to women. Especially Samaritan women. So he was giving her a lot of face here. To talk with her. He was showing her great respect. He had great love and compassion for her. And I think someone once showed me this idea. Again, it's kind of so I almost want to apologize it's so simple, but we're called to make disciples. Well, how does that often happen? Well, we meet strangers and they become acquaintances and then they turn from acquaintances into friends and then we have opportunity to share with them or someone shares with them and they become a believer and then someone disciples them. But you got to it starts with many times, someone going from being a stranger to an acquaintance. And that happens by opening your mouth and having a conversation. You might even think about your relatives. Here or there, you, you may know your relatives, but to get them to become friends, that, talk, that involves opening your mouth and talking with them. Just because they're your relative or your in-law doesn't mean you're necessarily friends. Okay? God was like this. Jesus was like this. He engaged people in conversation. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, uh, even if you're an introvert, you need to learn to do this. It's what we Christians do, what we little Christ, What we follow his example, we engage people in conversation. Also in First Peter it says, um, Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So it's saying, there'll be times where even you treat people with respect, you, you clearly present the gospel, and people aren't going to like it. Jesus tells us this, the score's on the doors. This is the way it's going to be like sometimes. So be prepared for it. If somebody reviles you, that's all right. But always treat people with gentleness and respect when you're sharing with them. And that's not easy. Often we get threatened. We feel like we get in an argument then. I want to win this argument. i got to defend God's honor. But remind yourself, no. And actually, we had a Jehovah's Witness come to our door this week. And so I started talking with her, and she had her trainee next to her. And I started feeling like, oh, i got to win this argument because her trainee's there. And and I started, I was kind of getting agitated. And I, I, thankfully, the Lord just reminded me. I said, Lord... Holy Spirit, help me here. Give me compassion for this woman. She's lost. Uh, And that helped me so much to to say, oh, yeah, Lord, help me. Help me think what to say, too. And um, it changed the tone of our conversation suddenly, and I began to listen better to what she was saying. And she mentioned that I'd heard that, I knew that they believed that God created Jesus, and then she told me, oh, he created the Holy Spirit too. I said, really? I didn't know that. She said, yeah, blah, 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 and we went on. And, and um, I just praised God. He gave me, I'd been thinking about this idea for a while, but he brought it to my mind, and I, I just said, and I, I, it was because I said, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me know what to say. What. And I asked her, I said, I said, do you ever get lonely? And she said, Yes. I said, well, then you shouldn't be a Jehovah's Witness. She said, why? I said, well, you believe God existed by himself. He didn't need anything. But that he created Jesus and the Holy Spirit out of his love and to serve people. I said, but if God didn't need... We believe God's a trinity and they have relationship with each other. From eternity past, uh, the Godhead existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were in relationship, but your God, he's existed by himself. And you told me he didn't need anything. So he He did, He would never have gotten lonely. And if, we're cre- if you're created in his image, then you don't need other people. You're created in your God's image. You don't need other people. You, and so you should never get lonely, shouldn't you? And, wow, that was kind of the end of the conversation. Um, and I, to some degree, I was like, wow, God, I don't even know where that came from. Or... <laughs> But it was because I asked, I said, the Holy Spirit, help me. God wants to help us when we're sharing with people. So we need to ask him. But we do it with gentleness and respect. The story goes on. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. All right, here Jesus throws out some bait. And he makes an attempt to turn the conversation towards spiritual things. So in our conversations, we want to we wanna throw out bait. I think he was hoping she would say, living water? Well, what's living water? Did she say that? No, she didn't really quite get it. It didn't really work on her. But he didn't get discouraged. He, he kept going. And this idea is really important of throwing out bait. And it's a biblical idea. When Jesus sent out the 12, when he sent out the 72, he told them to look for a person of peace and to stay in that person's house and not move around. And this person of peace was someone who basically accepted them and accepted their message and said, yes, you can stay in our house and we'll feed you. Now, they wouldn't have done that if they didn't accept them and their message. So Jesus was—he told them to, to look for those people. And actually, this was a strategy of ours. Whenever we went into a village, we would always pray, Lord, bring us to the person of peace, someone who is at peace with this message that we have, who accepts us and will accept your message. And so we're looking for that. And Jesus says, if you don't find anybody in a village that welcomes you or your message, shake off the dust on your feet and go somewhere else. And so this, this is a biblical idea. There are people that are seeking for the truth today and we need to be looking for them it's good to be preaching the gospel to everyone as long as we do it with gentleness respect sensitively but we especially we want to preach it to those that are ready to receive it who are looking for answers in fact i had a friend he was a missionary in iraq and he had two girls that came for a two-year tour and he said, I learned a really painful lesson through it. He said these two girls were outstanding missionaries. Early on, they made friends with a, a Muslim family. And they went to they they got they started meeting all the relatives of this one family. And they they started getting invited to all the events, and they spent two years with this family. And they had a few opportunities to share the gospel and what they believed. But but he said, sadly. Nobody in that family had an interest in, in spiritual things and didn't want to know more about Christ. But they were faithful. They really lived life on life with these people. They shared the gospel clearly and boldly. But at the end of two years, he said, they, they hadn't led anyone to the Lord. But he said, I really encouraged them. They did a great job. But he said, the, the week that they were leaving, I got an email from a uh, radio ministry, and they said, oh, we have this radio ministry to Muslims, and as part of it, we preach the gospel, and if they want to take a course, a correspondence course on the New Testament, we send it to them. And this is in a country where there were very few Muslim believers uh, in Iraq there. And he said, I, we just have had a hundred people who finished this New Testament correspondence course, and we're looking for people to follow them up. And he said, oh, I wish I'd have had that two years ago when these girls came. Just think what would have happened if they could have followed up the women that had just completed this course in the New Testament. Were those people seekers? Were they seeking after the truth? Yeah, they were reading They've just studied the New Testament. Very open. So he, he came up with the idea of calling it precision harvesting, or this idea of, Instead of just randomly sharing the gospel, not that there's anything wrong with that, said how much better that instead we look for those that are open, that are searching. And I think that's an important part of this idea of throwing out bait. We're just constantly, and make that our prayer, God, bring me into the path of somebody who's seeking for you, who you've ordained to be in your kingdom. Those are the people we especially want to be looking for and praying for. And I was thinking about that in our time of retreat of silence. How many people made that as a goal? Lord, help me to plant so many seeds this year. Help me to lead somebody to the Lord this year. I think that's a worthy goal that we also should be be thinking about. But an important part of it is throwing out that bait. Okay, she doesn't get it. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. But Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come and draw water. Come here to draw water. Here, Jesus talks about the benefits of this water. You drink of it, you won't be thirsty again. Okay, And he uses this image of living water. That's a powerful image of what the gospel is in our life. You drink of it, and springs of living water will become, this joy of the Holy Spirit will continually be coming out of you. It's one of the benefits of God's Spirit being in us. So we need to do the same. This is where we should share our testimony. The great thing about our testimony, somebody could re- disagree with us and say, well, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I just don't believe that. And you can argue about that. But if you share the tes- your testimony, how you used to get angry all the time after you became a Christian, suddenly you, you stopped yelling and getting angry all the time. They can't say, well, that's not true. I mean, they could say that, but hardly anybody is. They can't, they can't argue about your testimony. And it's a very powerful story of what God's done in, in your life. So... Sharing a testimony with someone is a powerful touch of those 29 touches. That's a very, and so if you're able to share your testimony or part of your testimony with somebody, that's success. That's wonderful. That will mean a lot to them. And then also, using stories to make the gospel clear. If, we'll have time, if we have time, we'll talk about some different ways to do this, but anytime we can use an illustration. It said sometimes Jesus only talked in parables. He only used parables. So he was the master teacher. If he's always using word pictures and things like that, certainly we should as well. So we need to get a toolbox filled with these good stories. Then Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman, and I think, um, yeah, it's interesting to think, how did this transpire? What did, how did Jesus say that? He said, go call your husband, have him come here. And I bet you there was a, a long silence there, uncomfortable. And she said, well, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for, for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I don't think he condemned her with it. He had compassion on her. He, he felt for her. Can you imagine the turmoil of five different husbands, how broken she was? said, what, what you've said is true. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. She sensed that, again, the importance of why we need to have compassion. It, it, our compassion for people stands out. There's so uh, rarely that people see that. The principle here is, don't neglect to bring up sin. Um, Jesus didn't. He pointed out, you've had a broken life. Um, and you've had sin in your life. Okay? Eventually in our as we talk with people, as the Holy Spirit leads, we want to bring that up that everybody's a sinner and our sins separate us from a holy God. Okay? Then she gets in and she starts talking about our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. And really here we see this is the whole conversation could get sidetracked by an argument of where should we worship God? Okay? But we notice Jesus doesn't fall for that he sticks to the point and he talks about the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth he focuses uh, on the key issue he doesn't get distracted by these other arguments so don't get sidetracked by unimportant arguments when we talk with people. Now, sometimes they'll have an objection that is really uh, 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 an objection. Um, maybe they'll say, I, I really don't, I don't understand. How could God have a son? How can, the, the Trinity, I just don't get that. I don't know. Or how can God allow evil? My, my mother died last month. I just, it was so difficult. I can't see how there could be a good father in heaven. I mean, if it's a real question, of course, we follow that up. We need to listen. One of the best ways we show we love people is to listen to their objections, listen to what they're saying, and then address that. But if it's, if it's something just to get sidetracked uh, from the main message, we need to be careful about that. Then here she says, "I know that Messiah is coming." Why does she? It seems weird in the story that she all of a sudden she knows that the Messiah is coming. You were seeing faith here, and Jesus just rebuked her. But I think again, it was because he did it with compassion. He's hurting for this woman, and she sees that in his eyes. When the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus says to her, "I am I." I who speak to you am he. So we point people to Jesus just as he points the woman to himself. Then the disciples, the dopey disciples come back and they marvel. He's talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ They went out of the town and were coming to him. So lots of people responded to her testimony. This is the power of a testimony is incredible. That's why never be afraid to share your testimony. This woman telling of what Jesus did in her life, the town, they start all these people from the town start coming out because of her testimony. Okay? She didn't go back through the Old Testament and share. The theological basis on how they could be saved, she just shared what Jesus did. That's simple. That's all we need to do many times. Share our testimony. And then also look for signs that the person who truly understands who Jesus is. It says she left her water jar. I mean, she is taken up with Jesus now, and that's her focus. You can tell that she's serious business about following Christ. We don't want to lead people to Christ when we know that they're just wanting to say it to make in China. That was the people often want to make the foreigner happy. Oh, if you want me to say a prayer, okay, I'll say a prayer. No, we're looking for signs that people are genuine and the power of personal testimony. Then his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What? what Did you bring him food to eat? Who brought him food to eat? (laughs) It's so funny, really. The disciples, they're clueless. They are so clueless sometimes. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's really a significant statement, his food, okay? Like Jesus, we are nourished, energized, and strengthened by sharing the gospel with others. You know, whenever I share the gospel with somebody, I just, I feel so good. I am encouraged by it. It's a joy. We're his ambassadors, and when we do what we're supposed to, it brings us great joy, okay? Okay? We have a colleague who's led, uh, there's a book called t for t Revolution. And it's a story. He's been involved in a movement that's had over 300,000 people come to Christ in southern China. Uh, we went to a training that he did, and the first thing he said is, the happiest Christians I know are those that are active in sharing their faith. And you know, I thought about this. I said, there's a lot of truth. That is a true statement. People that share their faith regularly especially when they do it naturally, just out of the love they have for God, are so happy, we're blessed. The scripture says we're wise to win souls, that all of our spiritual blessings uh, are activated as we share the gospel. Just like fishing, when you catch a fish, I mean, that's a joy, isn't it? (laughs) This is probably my favorite picture of all time. Key and I were out that morning in a canoe on a lake and she caught that fish by herself, and she brought it into the boat by herself. And is that real joy on her face? Uh, she, and it was a family reunion, so she took that fish around, to all 21 people in our family who were there, and everybody just gushed over it. There is such joy in catching fish. And Jesus teaches the disciples, he said, there are yet... He said, do you not say, or you're often saying, there are yet four months, then the harvest. I think this was a farming thing. You plant, and then the saying is, okay, four more months, and then we harvest. Okay? But Jesus says, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I think he was pointing to the village where all of the Samaritans are coming out to come meet him. Look, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for a harvest today. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The NIV translates it this way. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So, the NIV, uh, ESV is more literal translation, so the NIV is translating more and, and actually saying the hard work. Well, what was the hard work? The hard work was the sowing of the seed. He's saying the easier work was the reaping. He said lots of others have sowed seed, now you'll get, you're getting to do reaping. But that's a big encouragement. You know, just as we talk about the 29 shrimp, okay, the 29 touches, not only does Jesus say, that last one, you know, yeah, it's exciting to get to reap that. But he says, the other 28 touches, those are the hard ones. That's the hard work. So when we plant a seed with somebody, have a little conversation, share our testimony with somebody, instead of saying, oh, I didn't get to share the whole gospel. Oh, they didn't make a decision. Oh, they didn't didn't really seem that responsive. No, instead our attitude would be, Wow, what a privilege, Lord, thank you that I got to share one of those touches and one of the the tough, I was doing the tough work today. I'm tough, I was doing the tough (laughs) stuff. No, really, we really ought to have that attitude. Lord, you know, yeah, when you don't see the response, that's a lot harder than when you share with somebody and they believe, oh, that's easy, that's so much fun. But Lord, there was no response today, but I'm going to keep going because I know I'm part of this process and I'm I'm doing the hard work. Also, don't say no for people. Okay? Jesus says there's people today that are ready. So we should never say no. Sometimes we look at a person we say, "Oh, they're so educated and they're they got so much money. Ah, they don't they're not going to be interested in the gospel." And then we look at somebody else, "Oh, they're so poor and uneducated." They're not going to have any interest in the gospel. <laughs> Don't say no for somebody. That's God's job. Is to, our job is to present the gospel. Their response is up to the Holy Spirit. So never say no. Don't say, oh, that person just doesn't look like they're going to be responding. Okay? But instead, look to the Holy Spirit to lead us. Lord, who do you want me to strike up a conversation with? Lord, who do you want me to throw bait out to? And then again, it's a team sport. Many people sow, and then some get to, to reap. And it's the hard work is the sowing work. So if you're sowing, man, you're doing the tough job. Congratulate yourself. me. Samaritans came, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. The power of the testimony. So when they came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In the same way, if people respond to our testimony, invite them to, be, to say, Hey, would you like to study the uh, book of the Bible about Jesus' life, learn more about what he's like? Would you be interested in that? If they say yes, okay, start studying then they see for themselves, not just they hear from you, now they encounter Jesus firsthand. So, this is really about follow up. And, uh, oh, I I can't verify these. I've been trying to verify these statistics, but I, it's amazing. I heard these several years ago that they looked at people after Billy Graham crusades, and if the person made a decision, walked forward, okay, uh, that if they followed them up seven days later, a year later, 50% of those people were Christians. But look at the bottom one. If they followed them up within 24 hours, 92% were Christians a year later. Follow-up is so important. When we give birth to our babies, we don't look at them and give them a kiss and then put them uh, on the table and go out and have breakfast, do we? I mean, you'd say, that's immoral to leave a newborn baby alone on its own. For 15 minutes or whatever, but often that happens with Christians. They make a decision: I'm going to follow Christ. Okay, great. Uh, well, today's Monday. Come on Sunday to church, and and uh, we'll have a we'll get together, and I'll teach you how to have a quiet time. That's like leaving a baby on the table right after it's born and going to get breakfast. It's so important, and these statistics bear it out. When someone first makes a decision, we need to take that seriously and. With lots of energy, sit down and teach them the basics that very day. What you learn first, you learn best. So we've seen lots of of principles here from this story. And I encourage you just to go back and and read through that story again. Let Jesus teach you. But the, the main things we're really hitting here is being, one, compassion for people. Two, reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Doing it in His strength. Three, throwing out bait, trying trying to find the person of peace, the people that are seekers. That should be our prayer to, Lord, would you lead me to those that are hurting, that are looking for answers. We see Jesus doing all of these, and the importance of of follow-up, that the hard work is in the sowing. I just want to point, I'm going to skip ahead to several things here. For resources, on the Crossway website, there's an article, Fishing Evangelists." It's only about three pages, by Ruth Siemens. I'm also recommending this book, Out of the Salt Shaker. She was a mentor to this lady, Ruth Siemens. It's much, you know, it's quite long. But just start by rereading this article. It's very good about this idea. How do we throw out bait? How do we find those that are seeking, looking for the truth? And again, the best method is throwing out bait and being carefully listening to and engaging those who respond, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to skip by this real quick. Um, I want to encourage people too. Often people don't, you don't have the confidence to share the gospel. So the solution is just find one simple method so that if somebody, you have a chance to share the whole gospel with them, you can do it. So just start by mastering one method then later you can learn other methods. And then also, don't know who to share with. I encourage people, begin having a list where you put three to five names of people that you feel led by the Holy Spirit to be asking God that they'll come to, to believe this year or that you want to see come to faith and begin praying for them daily. Maybe asking your accountability partner, would you pray for these names too? And help God see if I, if he wants me to have a role in giving them a book or giving a DVD, inviting him to church, having a conversation, sharing the gospel, sharing my testimony. But be, as you begin praying for these people, you'll be surprised how quickly God gives opportunity in their life. Okay, uh, just to show how simple a method could be, this is an ABC method that um, I tried to come up with as a way to help you remember the basics of the gospel. Look how simple it is. A is for admit. Okay, the gospel... To become a Christian, you need to admit that God is holy and sinless, and that you're a sinner, and that your sins separate you from God. You see how the two are separated there. Okay, it's the letter A. And the colors are red, white, and blue, in that order. God is holy and sinless, you're a sinner, your sins separate you from God. Then you need to believe, B, that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to earth, okay, a little J, a big J there. To die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. All right. You see the number three there? Okay. All right. Then C, commit to turn from your sins and to follow and trust only in Jesus. Right. You won't go back to other things that when you have tough times, you'll follow Jesus. In China, we talk with people and say... And even if the police come in the middle of the night, you will stand strong and say, yes, I am a Christian. You won't deny them. Even if they threaten to take you to jail. So we, people know the cost of following Christ as well. Okay, let's try it. A is for what? Admit. What's that? God is holy and sinless. And you? okay. Sins separate us from God. B stands for? Okay, God sent Jesus to the earth to do what? Die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Three days later, he rose again. Then C is commit. To do what? Repent means to turn the other way. To turn from your sins. And lastly, to trust and follow only in Jesus. A, B, C. It's as easy as A, B, C. One, two, three. Um, Okay, so very simple. In in two minutes, we learned a simple way to present the gospel. There's lots of... There's the bridge illustration. I don't have time to go through that today. This illustration, people try to get to God, but only through Jesus. We can cross over from death to life. There's a few verses you can learn with that. But take one of these. Um, They're very available. And and master it so you have confidence. So if someone says, How do I become a Christian? You won't get so anxious, and you can just share with them. It's very simple. I just want to end, then, with this song. Um, If we could cue it up. It's a current song by Brandon Heath. And I just, let's make this our prayer, that God would give us his eyes to see people the way he sees them, and that we'd have compassion. And the song begins, he's on an airplane looking down at the world, and then he encounters people as he lands. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask, give us your eyes to see people. And give us your heart for people, Lord. We just confess that too often our hearts are hard and we're selfish. We're just wrapped up in what we're doing. And Lord, we ask forgiveness. Lord, we want to be your ambassadors. We want to represent you well. We want to be your hands and your feet Lord, we ask that you'd help us to follow Jesus' example, just to naturally and lovingly interact with people and to care, with care, listen to their stories. And Lord, in love, be able to share with them as your Holy Spirit leads us. Lord, we just come against the enemy and all the guilt and fear he wants to bring. And Lord, instead, we know that you just want to give us love. And make us your effective ambassadors to do our best to meet the needs of hurting people around us. Lord, give us your heart and your eyes. Lord, we want to have more compassion for people. Lord, this week and this coming year, I just really believe that there are many hurting people that you're going to allow our lives to intersect with. And you're going to allow us to minister to them as your Holy Spirit leads us, and as your Holy Spirit empowers us, and your Holy Spirit's going to work in their lives, Lord. And either they're going to be brought a step closer to coming to believe to you, or Lord, they'll give us that great privilege of seeing somebody make a decision to follow you. But Lord, right now, we just offer our lives to you, to use us as you will. But Lord, help us. We, we so much need your Holy Spirit To give us eyes to see who you want us to talk to. Help us learn how to strike up conversations with people. And prompt us, Lord, when there's somebody hurting that you would have us to help and to minister to. We just give our lives to you, Lord, but we just tell you how much we need you. We can't do this without you. But we thank you for the incredible privilege to be your hands and your feet and your ambassadors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.